What is crack a lackin', Hardwood Knox listeners? I am Dan Valley coming at you without my fantabulous co-host, Adam Frommel. I am, however, continuously excited to keep our team look-ahead train on the roll. The Washington Wizards are up next, and we brought on Quentin Mayo. He can be found on Twitter at RealQuintonMayo. That's at R-E-A-L-Q-U-I-N-T-O-N-M-A-Y-O. He's the host of Bet MGM Tonight. He's an overall Washington Wizards insider, covers the team for Blue Wire Pods during the regular season, which is also the umbrella under which this podcast can be found. Uh, he is also covers basketball and betting at large for, for Odyssey. He does a lot, and he does it extremely well. We had a great conversation about all things Wizards heading into the season. Tackled, of course, Bradley Beal's future, all that good, important stuff. Before we get started, just the usual yet salient reminder to please, please, pretty please continue subscribing, rating, reviewing Hardwood Knox, wherever you get your podcast, we can be found everywhere. The subscriptions, the ratings, and the reviews, those help us out a ton. Whether you use iTunes or not, we also ask that you head over there so long as you have access to it. Search Hardwood Knox, throw us that five-star rating and write a review. It should take 10 to 15 seconds. You can even include criticism in the review so long as you give us that five-star rating. Those help us a ton in the charts. So I just want to reiterate that as well as subscribing wherever you're getting your podcast and downloading episodes. If this is your first time checking out Hardwood Knox because you're a diehard Washington Wizards fan and need to consume all the Wizards content possible. Maybe you're just really a fan of Quentin Mayo, which I get it. Perhaps you've just stumbled upon us accidentally. Consider throwing us that permanent subscription. We cover the entire NBA at large. We are pleasantly sub mediocre, only half insufferable. It's a fantastic experience in my totally unbiased opinion. Follow us on Twitter at Hardwood Knox. We can also be found on YouTube, youtube.com. Search Hardwood Knox. We will show up. We are on Instagram as well at Hardwood underscore Knox. With all of the business out of the way or the unfun business, let's get to the super fun business of talking a bunch of Washington Wizards with Quentin Mayo. Uh, Quentin, thank you so much for coming on the Hardwood Knox podcast. The first time uh, that I spammed your DMs and you answered and you came on and I am forever thankful for it already. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you for inviting me first and foremost. And you say spam DMs like it was a like like you reached out multiple times. It was one time. I don't want people to think you're thirsty in the DMs. I was very open and willing to uh to hop on with you. I think people who listen to this podcast know that I just feel like a perpetual infringement upon people's lives. So <laughs> one DM is considered spam from my book. I feel uh, like I feel I'm excited like. to talk about the Wizards. They had a pretty boring offseason. Nothing happened there. Just yeah, like, nothing, nothing major. I, I, we have to start with the rush trade. Yeah. What were your, I, I think the biggest theme has been everyone's excited or commended them for they're so flexible long-term. They can choose all these different directions. I'm curious where you land on that, but I also want to know how you feel about what it does for, for them in the present, because you can argue, Hey, they lost a, a star, but they also really deepened their rotation yeah. by like four players as part of that transaction. And we'll probably talk about this later, but it might be a little too deep. Like it's, it's a lot of depth and you got to get guys that can go out there and play. And they have a lot of guys in pretty much the same positions, but um, it did add a lot of flexibility to this team. I mean, that's undeniable coming into this offseason, We were saying, okay, well, Russ contract, it's untradeable. Bradley Bill's making X amount of money. Davies is making 16 million a year. How can they take the next step and, and add a player that's um, good enough to really elevate the floor or the ceiling of this team and it was hard. I mean, DeMar DeRozan was thrown around, but DeMar wants X amount of money. How does he fit in the cap? Is he going to take a pay cut? All these different types of players have been um, 
speculated, but for them to trade Russ, it was kind of a mutual thing. And I, actually, it was more on the Russ side because Russ wanted to play in L.A. Like, th- that's the fact of the matter. Russ wanted to go to, to L.A. and he wanted to win. He wanted to play some meaningful basketball. And what he did in D.C. will not be forgotten. I mean, he... I mean, watching Russ from the outside, you're like, man, he just goes so hard. Like, you just think he goes so hard. He hustles harder than everybody else. And that's who Russell Westbrook is. But watching every single game from him here in D.C., I'm like, this is not something I think we'll ever see again in the NBA. Like, it's so rare for somebody to play the game like he does, um, even with all the criticism. So it was time for him to go and, you know, be in a place where he can chase a championship or win a ring and, and get that last, I guess, notch in his belt of, you know, on-court accolades. Um, so it was cool. It was a good trade. I mean, Kyle Kuzma, you get back. Spencer Dinwiddie, Montrez Harold, KCP. I mean, the, the list just feels like it goes on forever. Um, and these are not just, like, young guys who haven't done anything. K- uh, Kuzma, at one point we were talking about I remember reading articles about you know Kuzma was better than Jason Tatum or Kuzma's ceiling is higher than X player and all these different things especially his first year in the league and you know he comes in with some experience of playing in LA and playing with those um, basketball players like Braun and AD but now he's kind of at a a point in his career where he has to have his own identity outside of that I think he adds a lot to this team Spencer Dinwiddie coming off the ACL Uh, they got a lot of nice pieces so I like the trade I like that both sides worked on it Brad and uh, Russ did talk about it before it happened and it was just like hey you ready? I want to go. Is that cool with you? I mean, I'm, this is what I'm thinking. And Brad was like, yeah, go do your thing. And, and it was kind of a shake hands, love you for life and keep it, keep it moving. So the trade was cool. The team's flexibility is incredible. Um, I mean, even if you are not bought into this team at the trade deadline or for whatever reason, if it's winning or not, you have some pieces that other people will actually look for. Last year, at the trade deadline, people were talking about oh well we could trade Davis or we could trade Garrison or we could trade this player I'm like those guys are cool if you're a Wizards fan but outside of the DMV area I don't think anybody's really clamoring to trade for those guys to take them to the next level um so now you have some pieces where you know they're a little highly sought after and especially in this situation you could probably see more of what they can do because they have more free reign to operate in the offense and defensively the Spencer Dinwiddie edition uh, I mean, the first off, he's coming back from the partially torn ACL. Is he going to be yeah. under any significant limitations to start the season? Not that I've heard. Not that I've heard. He looks the best. Um, and we just <laughs> talked about this before. This is the best he's looked since yeah. you know, before, <laughs> the, before the ACL. This is the best. But he looks really good. I, I think uh, I've talked to his trainer, Olin Simplis, uh, the guard whisperer, and that's also his uncle. And like the the way he works is kind of freaky. Like I know we talk about the players work ethics, especially when you get to the NBA, it's just a different level of work, but he's been really grinding like three workouts a day, especially recovery and rehab and seeing him in practice. He's been, he's been phenomenal. Like, I mean, talking to the players, talking to Brad, even talking to Spence, just, he feels good. I don't think there'll be any limitations. He wants to play in preseason. Will we see him play in preseason? I think so. Maybe a couple games or one game towards the end part of that, especially because this team is, I think mentally, all the injuries that they went through in past years and in pre- previous years, this is a big year for that organization. So you don't want any setbacks, but he looks good. I think he won't have, I don't think he'll have any limitations uh, in terms of playing time or things like that. How do you like his fit with the roster? And I'm wondering what's what people see an ACL injury, knowing he's also had a previous ACL injury, mm-hmm. all those red flags pop up. His game has never really been prided on a ton of explosion. And so I wouldn't worry too much about it, but I am wondering if the offense ends up missing like that pure raw, rim pressure Russell Westbrook put on the basket because they don't you look at this they have a ton of players on this roster now and like I don't know who their best guy to put pressure on is it Beal is it Aaron Holiday at this point because it doesn't feel like it's going to be Spencer Dinwiddie 
Yeah, putting pressure on the defense, or you're saying like pressure in the rebounding department of grabbing boards that Russ brought. Uh, I'm sorry, like putting pressure on the defense around the basket. Okay. Like that reaction when he gets in the lane is it's obviously yeah. unparalleled, but it feels like they don't have that like ball handler who's going to put a ton of that raw rim pressure on the um, opposing defense. Yeah, I, I'd agree. Uh, I think, like you said, Spencer's game is not necessarily finesse, but it's more of controlled. Uh, it's it's a smarter game. It's a it's a he has like a deceiving athleticism about him. Um, he does he does play make well, so I think that is not anywhere near Russ's ex- just sheer explosion downhill uh, slashing uh, play style. But you're right; I don't think they have like one player that can f- that can come in and give you what Russ did in that department. But one thing that they are going to try to do even more this year is just the ability to have like Daniel Gafford. Um, playing more extensive minutes and being the role man. But now you have more options around the perimeter that can help you keep that floor spread open to where, you know, last year they were playing, all defenses were just playing off of the threes. Like even Davies, who two years ago was probably one of the, the best three-point shooters in the league, last year didn't even look like himself. People were just playing off of these guys. This year you do have some talented perimeter shooting to where you get more one-on-one matchups, especially coming down in this, inside the lane. I think Brad is also, um, uh, his pressure inside the paint is really good. He's one of the more underrated finishers in the league, I believe. Um, the mid-range game is literally his bread and butter right now. And we, we talk about... You know, in terms of his scoring ability, he came to the league as a spot-up three-point shooter. Like, he was a knockdown three-point shooter. That was his thing. He hasn't shot the the ball well from three-point range probably the past two years. His numbers have steadily declined. Now, is that because of the fact that he's been probably the only option and he's had to do even more? Probably so. But, you know, this year, he's a he's a true three-level scorer. I think he pressures defenses. And with Spencer Dinwiddie's playmaking, one thing I love from him is when he beats a man around the perimeter, which we'll have to see this year if he can do because the ACL will uh, – alter the stop start just a little bit is the way he can just effortlessly find a cutting man or he can the lot his lob throwing ability I mean I saw it in Brooklyn like it's crazy when you go back and watch these games his vision is really good so you got a rim running threat like Daniel Gafford I think that helps out a lot so nobody can just one piece can can uh make up for Russell Westbrook but I think you know schematically and with the playmaking ability that they have around the perimeter it should be able to do something Daniel Gafford was one of the players that I was worried about with Russ's departure because yeah. Westbrook assisted on so many of his buckets last year during that like run where Gafford was spectacular for the Wizards. It does feel like Dinwiddie can be that. It's a different type of playmaking, but I do think yeah. that they can establish that connection. I am curious as to what you're looking for or what the Wizards need to be looking for from Daniel Gafford in year two with him to actually – you'll view him as the center of the future because it was a relatively small sample size with with which they were working last season after the trade deadline. Conditioning, 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 and conditioning. Last year, I mean, ask anybody around D.C., you love Daniel Gafford, but he he had problems finishing games. And that's probably because of the fact that he came from Chicago. He wasn't playing a lot of basketball. So he comes from Chicago. Now he's in a situation where, oh, now I'm the starter? Like, now I have to be out here for this amount of time and they want me to close games. And the way he plays the game is so fast. He he gives, like, he's sprinting up and down the floor. The bunnies are there. Like, his, his athleticism is through the roof. But you got to be able to finish games. So now coming into the season, all I've heard from you know players and also coaching staff members is that he's the starting center. Like he's the starting guy. Montrez will come off the bench to to um, you know relieve him at some point. Then of course Thomas Bryant is working back from his injury. He'll be back in the fold at some point. But Daniel Gafford has to be able to stay on the court and and be um, and have that wind about him. He said he's been working on it this offseason. He said we can't really tell um, until he gets thrown into the fire, which is a great answer because you can work and you do wind sprints, but. You got to be able to, to to go out there and show it in a real game-like scenario. So I think another thing that he's worked on this year is just also his jump shot. 
I mean, every every center is working on the jumper. You want to be a more diverse basketball player. And I'm not saying he's going to go shoot three jumpers a game or anything like that, or ISO on the post over the left shoulder fade or anything of that nature. But, you know, just being a more diverse basketball player. But what he did last year is something that will, has, has been needed in Washington since – I don't know when. I mean, Marching Gore Tot was probably the last real rim rim running threat. Wow. He's like a rim running threat, but he had an excellent finish around the rim and he could knock down middies. And since then, they haven't had a true Skywalker like Daniel Gafford. So play exactly how he played last year and then just be able to be available. Your best ability is availability and you can't get taken out of games, you know, in a two point game in the fourth quarter because you can't breathe like that just can't happen. Do you view him as someone who can be like a viable backline rim protector on the defensive end for them? Yeah, I, I do. And it's and it's kind of it's kind of scary because I feel like when you do cover a team, you kind of you start to get closer to the guys and you get closer to the team to where you start thinking maybe you think a little more highly of them than they are. But I feel like there's a true gem defensively in Daniel Gafford. Um, I saw some plays and some blocks that he made last year on Zion Williamson at the rim that I haven't seen any guys make since I've been watching, you know, whenever Zion actually plays basketball. Like yes. I've seen, I've, I've seen him play like play some good defense in a lot of tricky spots. I've seen him get beat, but take one stride from the free throw line extended into the block and, and get a chase down in the half court setting. Like I've seen him do freakish things defensively. So like I said, if he can have the win to do it, I think he's a probably a, the best defensive center they've had in a long time. And I know that puts a lot of pressure on Daniel Gafford, especially so young in his career, but he has the tools. He just has to be able to put it together and stay out there on the court. Yeah. His ability to cover ground North South without a head start was like it's crazy. Charming. <laughs> yeah. It's really weird. <laughs> in my quest to not make this podcast eight hours long because they have so many new additions sandwiching yeah. that together, aside from Dinwiddie who ends up being in your opinion, the most important or most impactful new player on this roster. Man, I think it's I think it's honestly a toss up between Contavious Caldwell Pope and Kyle Kuzma. Um, and a lot of people haven't talked about KCP this offseason as much as Kuzma because I guess the name isn't as sexy as a Kyle Kuzma. Like KCP was never averaging, less, you know. I think it's what it is too. You said what? Uh, KCP tweets less, I think too. Is what yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and he's not he's not doing runway shoots and all that stuff. Even Kuz, everybody has a thing, and that's Kuz's thing. But KCP is more low key. But I think the 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 veteran presence that he does bring to that locker room and also just his ability to shoot. He's an underrated defender as well. They need perimeter defending. Last year, the perimeter defending of Washington was probably one of their most glaring issues. The pick and roll defense was future. Like it almost made me throw up watching them. <laughs> like I was watching my analysis uh, before uh, this podcast, just watching some analysis from last year's team. And I was just like, this is the worst basketball I've ever watched defensively. And and it's true. They need perimeter defenders. I think KCP can stretch the floor, knock shots down and play some defense. But Kuzma is the wild card because we have seen Kuzma get real buckets. Now, defensively, you know, that's another story. But we've seen Kuzma get real buckets to the point where I'm like, how does he fit into a Washington system where, you know, the only time we've really seen Kuzma in his bag is when the offense was all his, like there was nobody else there to step on his toes. How do you come into a situation now to where you're playing a second, third fiddle to a superior basketball player and you now have a defined role? In LA, it was like, okay, one night we need you to be the point guard. Next night we need you to go stand in the corner. Next night we need you to do all these different things. You have a defined role. You're the helper now. Like, can you still be impactful? Do you know how to be a role player or are you always having your eyes set on being the superstar? That's the biggest question for Kuz. But I think 
He has the tools to, to be whatever he wants to be. He just has to know how to fulfill his role and do it with a smile. Like, don't, like if you're not getting 17 shots tonight, Kuz, but you're playing good defense and you give me 10, 15 points and a couple possessions where you're playing locked in defense, that's what this team needs. They don't need Kuzma to average 24. Like, that, that, that's just not what they need. I, so uh, what you said about KCP, I think is spot on because like he, LA had one of the best defenses in the league last year, even when yeah. Anthony Davis wasn't on the court and it was KCP was routinely covering some of the, like the toughest option on the other team. I still think he was their third most important player when they won the title in 2020. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's going to be him, especially based off what you said about Washington's perimeter defense. I do think there's the potential for it to be Kuzma because he has improved positionally on defense and I'm probably not as low on you as you were on what he did like as a complimentary offensive player with the Lakers, except that I'm with you where he feels like this unformed offensive player still where there was year one where he could score all those from scratch buckets. And then he hasn't really had the opportunity to do a bunch of that since then, but he also, when he's had the opportunity, hasn't done it well. And so I'm curious if you think is Washington going to put him in more of the position, like you mentioned to be predominantly more of a catch and shoot guy or play off others. Or do you think because the pecking order after Beal, after Dinwiddie, could get a little spotty. Do you think that they're going to ask him to maybe do a little bit more with the ball in his hands? I, I do think so. So one thing Wes Unsell Jr. said when he came in is that he wants to take less – he wants to take more off the plate of Brad. Like last year, it's just straight ISO basketball. Brad pinned down, dribble handoff, straight DHO action. Like that's – it's just boring basketball. We've seen it before. There wasn't a lot of ball movement. He Wes has gone as far as saying less playing time for Bradley Bill, like in, in more off-balls a movement for Brad and not just being the primary ball handler. And that fits perfectly into incorporating a guy like Kuzma who needs both. Like he needs to know that he's offensively inclined and can go get buckets, but also know how to how to be that compliment, how to set those screens and do those things, especially at his size. Like it's crazy. He's six foot ten. Like it's kind of weird when you look at him on film. Like, is he really that tall? Like he's legit that tall. Um, so I think with the new offense that's being brought in, he'll have a lot of chances to to have options. Like if he's the, the if it's a dribble handoff or if he has to set a screen or if he has to initiate the next play, he can look at whoever's on him or get switched on him and say, oh, I can get a bucket real quick. And that allows the offense to be more free flowing and have more options. So I think he will get that opportunity. And also we haven't talked about the fact that Rui Hachimura still hasn't reported to camp. Rui Hachimura is supposed to be a starter. Uh, and he's still not here. So, you know, the last thing I heard that he's going through some um, taking care of his mental health, but if he doesn't show up to camp, it doesn't look like they're going to have a starting four. Right. And Sir Kyle Kuzma, that's going to be a lot of responsibility off the, off of, uh, from the break. I don't think Davies would get that start because Davies can't play any defense, but I think Kuzma is probably in that starting slot, and that that's good for him, especially coming into this situation this offseason the way he did. How does do you see that front court rotation sort of shaking out for the Wizards then? And I guess... And there's the intern without Rui and then long-term assuming Rui does eventually join the team. It's, it's so weird because the depth is crazy because when I look at it black and white, I, I tend to name names and forget that Thomas Bryant is coming back at some point. Right. Like, right, like right now we do have the fact that Daniel's going to start Montrez is going to be the backup. And then the four position you have uh, probably, like you said, Rui's not going to be there. So Kyle Kuzma and it's just, it's a it's a weird situation. Davies is going to come off the bench as well, but is Davies going to come in and play the three, or is he going to come in and play the four? Because we can't really can't really get a stronghold on who's going to play what. So, if anything, I would I would probably assume, like I just said, uh, Gafford, Trez at the four five at the five position. Excuse me. And then you got Rui at the four when he comes back. And then coming off the bench, 
I think first off the bench would probably be Kyle Kuzma. And then Davis is still like an odd man out to where, where are you going to get minutes for a guy who's making the third most money on the team? Like it, it's, it's, a, it, that's why I said it's almost too much depth on this Wizards team for everybody to get minutes and be successful at that. They, they feel like they're built to consolidate, like for a consolidation trade in the front court. I guess you could try. I don't know how you feel about yeah. this playing a Rui and or a Kuzma more minutes at the three is how you open up minutes at the four for Bertans. I don't yeah. know that I like Rui at the three. I don't even really like Kyle Kuzma at the three, to be honest with you. <laughs> Same. And the thing with uh, the thing with Rui, we've been talking about this for, you know, since Rui's been drafted is that people say he has positionless potential. And I think his his foot speed is way too slow to guard threes. Like, I think he's great at guarding fours. Like, that that's your thing. Like, he can maybe stick in there with fives, but like his his lateral quickness is not there. And what also it has to get factored into this whole dynamic is you're missing some valuable practice time and right. playing time the more minutes that you are out. So let's say he does come back after preseason. What time have you spent practicing guarding threes? What time have you spent practicing offensively um, operating at the three position? Like, it's not just an easy switch. And it's funny that a lot of, like, more casual fans are like, oh, he can just play right here or he can just play right there. Well, that's a lifestyle change. Like, that, that is a very <laughs> different – like, you don't just say, oh, I'm going to go from guarding – well, LeBron James is a very extreme example. But going from guarding LeBron to now guarding guards, like guarding DeMar DeRozan, DeMar would eat Rui alive in one-on-one situations and scenarios and that's a three so uh it's it's rough it's a it's a rough position to be in um I think Rui is a four but yeah you definitely could slide him up and down I think I, I would have more faith in Kyle Kuzma to do that just yeah, because sure. of you know what he has shown in previous years Rui is still so young in his game man he he still has a lot to work on uh to stay on the floor at, and, and to hold down that starting position let alone moving positions uh up or down what do you see the, the, let's just assume Rui reports is healthy and everything. What do you see his future as on offense, like based off what he can do? I've when I've watched him, it's always felt when the ball's in his hands, it feels like there's a nice feel there. But I also don't understand what I'm watching a lot of the time. If that makes any sense. <laughs> no, that that's that's the Rui experience so far. And one thing with Rui is that confidence is is ninety percent about like with any. I think he's as skilled as anybody at that position at his age. Um, I think he could. He could do a lot of special things, but he just has to learn not to defer. And I think a little bit of that changes this year with a new coaching staff and a new system because last year was just so much ISO basketball that guys are just like, all right, like I need to get Brad the ball and get out the way. This year is like everybody, we want you to make your own decisions as a basketball player out there on the floor. And Brad, I mean, when Brad gives the ball to, to Rui, it has to be, all right, I'm at the left block. This is what my I'm going to do. And if they can't stop it, I'm going to keep doing it over and over again. Sometimes he'll come out hot in the first quarter. If he doesn't get a few touches in the second, you know, Rui disappears till maybe the second half. And you can't have that. He has to continue to be aggressive. But I think if he has the confidence and the aggression, the skill is right there. The length is there. I also would like to see him uh, uh, have a little more creativity um, around the rim. Right now, he's very linear. He's very straight up and down. I mean, even on fast breaks, I kind of know what he's going to do every time. He doesn't have a Euro step. He's just going to try to put his shoulder down and lay the ball up. He doesn't have any wiggle left to right. Um, some creativity around the rim. And that comes with just, you know, growing in the league and knowing that you're not at Gonzaga playing against these, uh, you know, the younger guys, the smaller guys, where you can just power over them. You have to have a little more creativity and wiggle. So I think he's working on those things. And when he comes back, he has to display that. And I, I really wish he was in training camp right now with Wes because – Wes, his his focus this offseason has been teaching the young guys. Like, the, the vets are vets, and we can work on that. 
but he's been really breaking things down for the young guys. So their growth, like you're only as good as the last player on your bench. And I think Rui could really do well being coached by Wes because Wes has been implementing a lot of good stuff for the younger guys. You've now mentioned the new coaching staff a bunch of times, and that yeah, I think you could argue they pay that me to say that. By the way, they pay me to say that. Yeah. <laughs> what <laughs> what material changes do you think we can expect to the way that the Wizards are playing under Wes Unseld Jr.? Because these coaches, the first time head coaching hires are always interesting because there are people yeah. that are going to pretend they know what they're talking about with it. I have no idea what to expect from him. I know what I've heard about what he's done, what his reputation is, but I'm always you know, as someone who's just not super X's and O's to begin with, yeah. to have this new coach plugged in there, I'm very curious to see what's different about this Wizards team on the court under Wes Unsell Jr. Yeah, we, we're we going off of what we've heard so far because, like I said, this is not just his first time coaching the Wizards. This is his first time being a head coach, like you just said, in general. So even what you did in Denver back when he was with Washington back in the day, you know, how do you do that when you are the man? How do you how do you walk in and implement whatever your vision is for the team? It's it's very uh it's it's a very uh fine line to to tread because you've never been in that situation. So watching him closely, I just know one thing that he has put an emphasis on is defense. Like this team's defense. Oh my gosh. I mean, I don't even know where to start. I I it makes me sick the defense was that bad. It's it, it's crazy. And one thing that they did poorly last year is their pick and roll defense. They switched a ton. Like they switched every every time the screen comes in, they're switching. And when you have a lot of young players and then a lot of switching going on, it's so easy to get lost in the sauce. They're not going to switch nearly as much this year. Your man is your man. You are cap- a capable defender. You stick in front of your man. And if you need help, let somebody know. But you're going to be on this island until you until we see that you can't anymore. So less switching is number one. More ball movement, more creativity. I don't think you're... I don't think the NBA is ready to see uh, this version of Bradley Bill off the ball because he hasn't played off the ball since prime John Wall. And that was a very long time ago. So it feels um, like forever ago. It feels like forever ago. And uh, seeing Brad off the ball, it's easy to guard Brad when you're watching him bring the ball up the floor. And then you set, you get a screen set for him. You just got to stay in front of him. But like, what if you lose sight of him? He hasn't been able to move off the ball, pin downs and all those stuff in a very long time. And I think with that being the case now with other capable players and shooters and guys who know who they are as players, especially around the perimeter and that identity, they don't look to Brad and be like, all right, let me get Brad the ball. It's like, oh, I can get a bucket. Like, this is what I do. And that, that makes for a more widespread offense. Uh, somebody asked me a couple of weeks ago, I think I was on with Slam, and they asked about, um, will Brad average 30 again this year? I think Brad actually leads, has the, the shortest odds or the best odds to lead the league in scoring this year. And uh, I said, I think he could average 30 again this year. But if he's averaging 30, the team's not winning a lot of games because right. of the fact that he should not have to do that this year. If Brad gives you 25, 26, 27, that, that's where you want him to be because a lot of these other guys are capable scorers. They're capable shooters, and they've shown it. It's not just off of what we saw in college or what we think they can do in film. They've done this. They're, they're championship winners in this locker room that have operated at the highest level in an offense. So Brad keeping his number down, I think his points total is going to come down, but that's going to be perfect for what the Washington Wizards want because it's a more widespread offense from top to bottom. So we should expect to be more like an egalitarian approach where there's obviously Bradley Beal at the top of the pecking order, even Spencer Dinwiddie, but it's not going to be as maybe heliocentric as it was last year. Absolutely. You know, ne- you should never know, like it shouldn't surprise you if Kuz goes off for 25 one night and then the next night, you know, we're looking at Corey Kispert, who was their first round draft pick. People forget because there's so many names in this locker room. Corey Kispert knocks down six threes the following game and he came off the bench. Like, I think when you drafted Corey Kispert, you assumed that he would probably be put into the starting lineup because they needed shooting that bad. 
Now it's like, dang, where does Corey Kispert fit? They still got Howell Neto. They got uh, Aaron Holiday, who uh, the, the kids, the kids, the guys in the locker room love Aaron Holiday so far. Um, and I mean, I know he's not a flashy name, but he comes to work. And that's another option that you do have. It shouldn't surprise you if the box score every night is just different. Like everybody should be able to go off on their own. I was going to ask you about that. Do you view this team as having like enough secondary playmakers, guys who can actually set other players up aside from Dinwoody and Beal? And, you know, what, what does that sort of inform about the type of role Aaron Holiday's playing or how much they're relying on Howell Neto, who I've never viewed as he had a great season last year. That guy wears other players' skins on defense. He does. He does. But I've just never viewed him as like that table setter on offense. And so I'm curious as to – where you land on like the the structure there that they have of of secondary offensive playmaking. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a challenge um because I do think even when saying like it's it's extremely localized for me to be talking about how Neto did last year did this that and third like people are going to be listening like who like what did Howell Neto do like and, and like you said he was probably the team's one of the team's best defenders last year which is crazy because I don't even think he's six two like he's under six foot three um he's incredible but seeing what they can do with playmaking outside of Brad and Spencer Dinwiddie on that bench is going to be interesting because they have a log jam at the forward position, not the point guard position. Right. Um, so it, it, that's going to be something Wes Unsell Jr. has to come up with um, on his own merit. Um, that, hey, that's a, that's a great question. That's a, that's a really good question. We'll have to see what that second unit does look like. And of course you got staggering and you can do all these different things with your starters, but um, yeah, that second unit, who runs that second unit? I mean, Howell has had um, history in doing so, but Howell is more of a scoring guard. Like he's not, he's not more of a facilitating point guard. Aaron Holiday can play decent defense as well, but they're both kind of more like undersized combo guards to me. Right. Um, and with, with a, a lean to the scoring department. So we'll have to see how that shakes out for them. Um, Denny Avia, is he going to have any restrictions coming off that fractured foot? And he's also someone who, you know, sandwiching that discussion together, I thought maybe perhaps not immediately, but watching him, I know he didn't necessarily have the ball in his hands enough, but he felt like someone who might be able to step up and fill this void eventually for the Wizards as that secondary type of playmaker. Yeah, it's crazy. I I feel like I need to apologize. I keep forgetting about all these, the names on this team. Like Denny is, when we talked to Wes the first day of training camp, what he brought up was Denny Avdia as a secondary ball handler. Like, and, the, and that's something that Denny has, was marketed as and has branded himself as since coming out of Maccabi Tel Aviv in the draft. And I think he is capable of that now health-wise. He looks good. He hasn't participated in any five-on-five with the players, with the guys out there, but he has been running three-on-threes, five-on-fives with coaching staffs and stuff like that. And he looks good. I talked to him um, the other day. I th- you can probably expect him playing, if not the first preseason game against Houston, I think the second game against the New York Knicks. Um, but he's good to go. I mean, his his recovery has been good, and they expect a lot out of him, especially right now with what they saw out of him last year. Wes Unstill speaks highly of him, so he will have opportunities to become the secondary ball handler, especially with that second unit, something that fans wanted so much from him last year because it's funny, when they drafted him, a lot of fans were like, who is Denny Avdia? Like, especially not because of the fact that he was from overseas, but he was projected to go top five. So for him to slide in the draft, Wizards fans weren't looking that high about guys like, oh, these guys are locked up. Let's see who are actually going to be projected to come to our team. And last year, you're like, oh, they drafted Denny. 
he's a playmaker. And then you get him and then Scott Brooks sticks him in the corner and says, hey, you need to shoot threes all all game, every game. And it's like, that's never what he's done. Like you watch the film, even when you talk to Tommy Shepard, the GM on draft night, he said he's a, a positionless basketball player. He can be that playmaker. And he never got that opportunity when Scott was here. So look for him this year to be able to do that. And also they're going to lean him. They're going to, because the depth, they're going to work these guys in slowly. Like I feel, I feel like they feel comfortable, especially this year, slow walking a lot more of uh, these guys uh, due to injuries than they did last season. It's good to know because I was pleasantly, I didn't, I get like shin deep into the draft and then I'll do crash courses afterwards. Yeah. I was surprised at how like not terrible he was on defense last year too. And when you look at the forward death, I was worried that maybe is he going to be someone coming off an injury, being only a sophomore, this team has like, I guess, semi-immediate expectations that could he get squeezed, but it sounds like what you're saying he won't be. And I think that's smart because he just looks like there's going to be a really good basketball player in there yeah. soon. Not already. Absolutely. A lot of, he was mad last year a lot because he got called for fouls. A lot of, uh, especially on defense, and it was like, I think he has the potential to be a really good defender, but sometimes here, hey, short end of the stick, you're a rookie. Like this is this is just what happens. And also with the position that you were kind of being expected to guard of his size, um, you've got some really wily veterans that are going to get those calls more often times than not. So this year is another year for him. He he's definitely trying to decrease the fouling, and that's something that Russell Westbrook talked to him a lot about before he left. Didn't he even shout it out Russell Westbrook in his uh press conference last week, and just saying helping him become more mentally tough and also defend without fouling is one things or two things that he's focused on this offseason. I did see the Westbrook comment where if Westbrook influenced uh, Denny Audio's approach at all, that'll be very interesting to watch. Yeah, that, that's, that'd be crazy. That'd be really crazy to watch. Um, I didn't send this to you in the outline, but do, do you think this team should have taken a bigger swing than Kispert in the draft at number 15? Also sort of knowing, like, at that point, like, we knew what was happening with Russell Westbrook. Like, we knew what the Wizards were doing. Uh, it, to me, it felt like, yeah, maybe Kispert ends up being able to play a little bit more right away. But as you mentioned, the rotation where he should play will be really crowded at full strength. I'm just wondering if they should have like, should they have taken the project if it was like a, a Jalen Johnson, like the, like the Hawks did, um, or even like a, you know, an Usman Garuba, who I couldn't believe fell as far as he yeah. did guys who might not give you a return on investment as soon, but this, it felt like a very win now draft pick for a team that was veering away from any defined timeline. Yeah. The biggest issue that they had last year was shooting. Like the shooting was too. terrible. So that was the number one, I think, uh, thing on their list was we need somebody that can shoot the ball. And Corey Kispert felt that fit that mold. Another thing with Washington is that uh, with Ted Leonsis and Tommy Shepard, they're really huge on image and uh, and uh, off court presence and just the, the ability to come in and be a professional. If you look at Corey Kispert, if you look at Denny Abdia, you look at Rui Hachimura, you kind of fit a mold of guys who, okay, their ceilings might may not be as high as X player X, but they're never going to give you any issues off the floor. And you haven't heard anything about them negatively wise in terms of personality with the, uh, what was it? Jalen Johnson. I love Jalen Johnson. Uh, I thought his athleticism was crazy. I love that he, that Atlanta picked him up, but with Jalen Johnson, I mean, it's hard to ignore the fact that people are like, did he quit on Duke? Like he always has an issue everywhere he goes. And his, his, does he have an attitude problem? And with some organizations that are willing to say, Hey, we can take a sweep. I think he's talented. Bring him in this organization. And I don't care what would happen pr pr uh, prior to this position. We love you. We're going to take care of you. We're going to give you all the things that you need to succeed. And some organizations really succeeded that. Washington doesn't want to have to deal with that. I mean, especially I think it, something has to be said for like what happened with John Wall. Like that kind of left a really bad taste in Ted Leon's mouth to where he's like, you know, I don't want anything off the court to impact this team. Like, if we're going to lose or if we're going to win, it's going to be because, uh, you know, we did it with players that were available and just didn't 
you know, live up to the expectations or exceeded their expectations, but it's not going to be a guy that we have personality questions with off the court. So that eliminates when you watch this Wizards team draft every year, you're like, man, I like Jalen Johnson, but what is there one negative thing about him? Oh yeah. He's probably not going to be in DC. Like that's just kind of where we are in terms of how they draft guys. And also they love foreign guys in DC. They love the Japanese market, the Israel market. Like they, they just love that um, to expand to different uh, continents and countries and nations. And that that's kind of what DC is. It's a huge melting pot. And that's, I think a Another reason why you go with Denny and Rui in the draft. And Corey Kispert, of course, is Corey Kispert. But the shooting, shooting is a good point, too. Uh, just yeah. from someone who can move off the ball. Yeah. Th- this team, you've already mentioned the defensive problems they had. It's still so weird. They finished um, outside of garbage time, 16th in points allowed per possession. I think that was inflated by how the season sort of ended for them. Yeah. Is the defense going to be better this year? And like what, like what, what was the inflation due to? Like they were... They did a good job. The opponents didn't get a ton of shots at the rim last year, but they were finishing at will once they did get there. It was just such an oddball defensive team that I thought was bad. And then you look at the standing, and it's like they were around league average. I don't know what to make of that. Size. Size. Scott Brooks ran a lot of three-guard and four-guard lineups last year. Like We talked to Howell Neto uh, last Friday, last Thursday, and Howell Neto said, uh, the obvious, I'm a point guard. And last year, I played the two, the three, and sometimes the four. Now, I don't know how many teams are playing Howell Neto at the forward, at the forward. It's, it's ridiculous. And that, those were things. They also had Ish Smith. You had Ish Smith, Howell Neto, and Russell Westbrook and Bradley Bill all on the floor sometimes at the same time. Brad is 6'3". Russ is 6'2", 6'3". Ish Smith is 6'1". And Howell Neto is 6'2". You can't, defensive-wise, think that you can stop a team on a consistent basis with three-guard lineups, especially when they're that size. Typically, if you're going to go with three-guard lineup, you want to go with more positionless guys that have some type of size where they bring an expertise in a set area. And that's not what they had last year. So I think with this year, you do get a bigger team. Starting with the point guard position, you got a big guard in Spencer Dinwiddie. Dinwiddie's, what, 6'5", 6'6"? Yeah. He's big guard and not that he's been like this lockdown defender all his life but it's a different even when John was here John is 6-3 like it's it's a different feel at the point guard position when you have a bigger guard um also Bradley Bill's defense has to improve like this is something that is just no like when you it's it's easy to talk about um your lapses on defense when you have to do everything offensively you kind of get a pass in that department and which is a lot of reason why people like want to give Brad this respect but then other fans and uh, analysts are saying, well, Brad doesn't play any defense. Well, Brad plays 40 minutes and he's the reason why they had like a hundred of these points. Like he's 90% of the reason why y'all have even scored 80. So his defense has to get better. And I think all those things kind of come to fruition when you bring in Wes Unsell Jr. who does recognize the flaws on defense. I don't think you're going to see many three guard lineups for Wes Unsell Jr. this year. And I think the switchiness, you're, you're eliminating that and you do just have more, more talented defenders just baseline and I think that should be able to shoot them up that ranking a little bit I am contractually obligated to ask about Bradley Beal's future it does feel like ever since the report came out that Russ tried to get Bradley Beal to request a trade as well which by the way Russ might be the worst star recruiter in the league he tried to get team up with Kawhi and then Kawhi stole Paul George from Oklahoma City now he tries to get Bradley Beal to leave Washington and that doesn't work out but it feels like you know if Bradley Beal decided to stay with this team through that um it just feels like the noise is not as loud but is this still a fluid situation given he is entering a contract year um or do you expect him to sign an extension or is this just we should i guess the the question is how likely is bradley be able to be wearing a wizard's jersey after this coming season can i say like yes to every question you just asked because i think all of those things can be true i think it is still a very fluid situation 
Like he wants to win games. And if you're an organization that, that shows that you're not making strides to win, then that makes you look, that makes Brad look at the organization a little differently. Now he said on record a few times and off the record. Well, I can't say what he said off the record, but he has <laughs> said in just conversation that, you know, he, he wants to retire a Washington wizard. He wants that Jersey hung up in the Raptors and to be there for a long time. They're the team that drafted him on his birthday. It was a huge deal for him. And they've just, that's been a, that's, that's his life now. And uh, I, I, they offered them him the extension, which we all knew they would last weekend, last Friday, last Thursday. But that's going to sit there for a little bit, I, I believe. I think that's going to that's gonna sit there until he feels as though we're moving in the right direction. Now, on paper, this team looks better than last year. But we've I feel like we've said that about this team every single season that Brad's been here. It's like, this, this team looks better, and you're still, you know, fighting to get the AC. You're in the play-in situation. You're in the play-in scenario. I think, realistically... You want to look at this team and say, okay, can we not play the best team in the playoffs? Uh, round one, can we be a five seed? Can we be a four seed? Can we be a top three seed? I think those are very lofty expectations, but that's what the type of Brad, type of player Brad is, is the type of team he wants to have. He mm -hmm. wants that to be to be matched. And uh, I think him and Dane, major kudos to both of those guys. Like they are a different breed. They're so loyal. But the noise that you hear now from the Dame side, and who's extremely candid about what he uh, feels in terms of his future in Portland. It's the same thing with Brad. Brad wants to be here, but he is not rushing to sign anything because of the fact that you have to know that you're making the right decision. And you can get a lot of like you can get a lot of money everywhere now. Like the, that, that's the thing. You can get a lot of money everywhere. If you can get a lot of money and win, great. That's what you want to do. And if you can do that at home, excellent. But so far, they have to prove that they're building a team around him. And Russ was a big swing, and, uh, and it kind of hurt Brad a little bit because John was his dog. And then you have the season where everybody's down with COVID and Dobby shows about his shape, shape, and it's just a weird season. But I think all the things you can say, it's a fluid situation. Do I expect him to sign? Yes. Is it fluid? Yes. Do I expect him to take his time? Yes. Do I expect him to possibly look and take maybe take meetings at some point in time with other teams? Absolutely. I expect all those things um, from Brad because you have to at this point. Is it? if you're him and you're looking at this team, is it, can it be all about this season? Like if let's say the wizards are just like 10th or something around the trade deadline and they don't have a clear path to moving up. Well, if, is he the type of player that might look at what they're building and say, I can at least see the vision here because like, even if they have their best season, they're not going to, they're not going to be a championship contender. Right. And so I'm wondering that how that, you know, the long term sort of factors in with, you know, this, he is getting a little older based in NBA years, like how mm -hmm. that, how he sort of needs to weigh that. It's crazy how he's in year 10 and he's 27. Like that's, I would that's say he's getting older. Yeah, he's 27. But yeah, that's, that's crazy. And he's the oldest guy on the team. Like, that's another thing we don't talk. Like, he's the vet and he's 27 years old. But I think, yeah, I mean, it has to be, if I were him, I would look and say, okay, well, we have better players than we had last year. I think they're starting to realize what we need and address those needs. A new coach also, I feel like, buys you a little more time. Um, if you're the Wizards and you're looking at him saying, okay, well, what can West do in year one? How do I like Wes Sunsojo? I think the relationship with Scott Brooks for a lot of players kind of soured, um, not negatively, but just you get a little used to playing under a certain coach and you're not really being challenged and uh, you're not hearing a different voice. So you bring in a different voice and you bring in a, a, you flip Russell for all these different pieces. KCP and him are really, really tight, best friends. Like that's a really big deal to him to play with somebody. I think that even adds a little, like that's a, that's a little addition to the time on Bradley Bill is playing with a guy who now is your best friend. That That's something that he can get behind and staying in DC. But if they're 10th around the trade deadline, 
I'm going to have a lot to write about, I feel like, because um, that that is going to be um, very disappointing on all fronts. You can never predict injuries or anything like that. But right. yeah, it, it I, I don't think anything's off the table if you're 10th at that point. Do you cut some slack to the roster age or do you cut some slack to the first year head coach? Or you're like, man, this is a swing and I thought we had something, but I don't think these guys can really play. And, you know, it might be time for me to take my talents elsewhere. That gets really interesting if they all of a sudden are moving him with a half season essentially left on his deal rather than, you know, two seasons or a season. Yeah. It's a tricky game they're playing. This is, we've reached the cookie cutter portion of the podcast where I ask this on every single look ahead. And this is matchup based, this question I know. But if you had to pick, what do you think ends up being their most used or most effective crunch time unit with this roster? Uh, Spencer Dinwiddie, Bradley Bill, Contavious Caldwell Pope at the three. KCP is going to start this year. I don't think a lot of people realize that. KCP is going to start at the four. I would love to say Rui. Um, and then at the five, Daniel Gafford. But it wouldn't surprise me if it's Kuz at the four. Um, also, Kuz brings a little more shooting at the four position. Um, sure. Not that he's an excellent three-point shooter, but he can. he's a scorer. He's more of a scorer and he's more... Um, apt to go and get a bucket than Rui is at this point in his career. So probably say Spence, Brad, KCP, Kuz, and Daniel Gafford. Are those basically like four starters and then the four is going to be very like malleable? Like would yes. you expect Rui to start if he's with the team and, and ready to go? I would. Okay. Now, if, if Rui shows up, you know, after preseason, he's not going to start. Like what I just know Wes – that's not the kind of guy Wes is where you can just come into camp and now be thrown into the fire like that. So he's going to have to work for that, especially because Kuz has been working his butt off too. But also the five position is also kind of up in there because I think Daniel Gafford is the starter. Um, but what they had in Thomas Bryant, it, it, it's it's very consistent. I mean, he led the league in field goal percentage from inside the paint at one point in the, or a t- couple years ago. He's extremely efficient. He can stretch the floor. Mm-hmm. And it's it's kind of like, what do you need? Because you, you love stretch bigs, but also you need some defense. And Daniel Gafford brings more defense than Thomas Bryant does. But Thomas Bryant's also working back from an injury. But I would agree, yeah, four starters in a, in a transition, a fluid situation at the four. Is there a quirky, out of left field, weird lineup that you think this team needs to try? Just it doesn't even necessarily have to be good, just to see what would happen, to see what it might be. Yeah, I would I would probably go uh I would go uh let's go Spence at the one. Actually, you know what? Let's go yeah, Spence at the one, but at the two, Corey Kispert, slide Brad down to the three, uh Davies Bertans at the four and then at the five when healthy Thomas Bryant now I don't know how much defense is getting played in that lineup but I know that 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 lineup can run that lineup can score like crazy that I feel like you know you have like a nitro or a turbo package in football where you got all your pass rushers out there for a third and long situation I feel like that's like a high scoring lineup I see that Washington could throw out there and really put some pressure on some defense Kispert has been so impressive in training camp like a lot of people have had questions about other players, but the most consistent thing that you've heard across from players and coaches that Kispert's ready right now. Like Kispert, not only does he shoot the ball well, he has a little bit of a low delivery on his jumper, but it's still butter. Um, he hustles so hard. His defense is very obvious. Um, he he doesn't cut any corners. So uh, you're going to see a lot of minutes from Corey Kispert. Now West is going to have to find them somehow for court, um, but 
he's going to get a lot of playing time this year, and he's ready for it, it seems. I agree that lineup should get buckets. I would also agree that I think they would give up a lot of buckets. Too. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think the one I would want to see, because I am an endless lobbyist for small ball lineups, and I want to see Spencer, Beal, KCP, Denny, um, and then Kuzma. Like, let's just roll out Beal and yeah. Dewey and all the wings and see what happens. I don't think that lineup defends particularly well either, but right. uh, it spares Neto from locking minutes at the five. So we don't have to stake yeah. Neto at the five in that situation. I don't. I do. I do. If I see Neto play a second outside of the two guard, I'm throwing my TV out the window. <laughs> no, I do not want to see it anymore. Obviously, and I love Neto. Neto can defend his butt off. Like he's he can really defend. Last year he had such a good. He's been good since he's been in DC. Had an injury late to him. Uh, I think he sprained his ankle late last season. And his production kind of decreased, and at the same time, Ish Smith started getting buckets out of nowhere. And then the last year too. But Neto's solid, man. I really like him. This and I apologize for sending you a typo in your outline, but their over under is set at thirty four point five. Would you take the over under on that? And where do you see them stacking up in the larger picture of the East? I would take the over. I would. I I honestly would uh, because of the fact that. They are a group that knows how to play basketball. Like, it's less youth. I mean, it's still young, but it's less youth, if that makes sense. Like, you've got young guys who have done things and have expectations, and everybody feels like they know that this is this is, this is is something that we can really compete with. I think, you know, if anything, I, a lot of people have asked me, like, Quinn, this roster, you know, six, six seed, like, we're no longer the eight seed. I think we can be six or five, but the only thing that I – I ch- I'm challenged with is that the rest of the East has actually gotten really good. Like, the, right. like I think they can have a, a significantly better season than they did last year and still be around the seven. Like I just think the East is that good this year. And then I look at the West, the West is kind of more open because you have so many injuries. The East is pretty loaded this year on paper. I mean, Chicago, you've got names. Like, I mean, we look at the Knicks, even though I don't love Evan Fournier, they've got a point guard in Kimba. And then you look at all these different teams where I think they can, they can, you know, easily creep up on like, you know, mid forties in, in the win total would still be around the same position that they were last season. Um, so we'll see. And now every year there's an injury to a certain player or a certain team that, you know, one team unexpectedly drops and one unexpected team jumps up in the standings. I think they can be in the middle of the pack this year. I don't expect them to be like a top three or four seed, but I think realistically, you know, six, seven, eight is probably where they'll fit. But if they can get five, six, I think that's a win for the organization. I, I think you hit the problem with the East head on, which is just that I, I think there'll be a clear cut pecking order in the top four, even though right now it feels like Milwaukee and Brooklyn and everyone else. Yeah. I think Atlanta belongs in the top four and then maybe Miami. But I think four teams will, you know, they'll establish themselves. But everyone like five, there could be five through 11 of interchangeable teams. Yeah, and I think that's what makes it tough to peg where the Wizards fall. I'm curious as to why the over under on them is so low. I'm guessing it's just the the combustible potential of what does happen with Bradley Beal. Because if you yeah. do decide to move him, like, no, you're not winning 35 games this season. Exactly. I don't care how many guys you have out there. You're not winning without Brad. It's, it's going to be something interesting because, like, uh, we previewed uh, on my show, uh, we previewed the Pacers last week. And it's like, oh, the Pacers have all solid guys like they all like they typically do. All these guys that can get buckets. But then they got Rick Carlisle. Like, I think Rick Carlisle is going to bring something to that team that, you know, is going to be a little different than what we've seen in, in years past. The, the Celtics are a tricky team to me, too, because uh, Jason Tatum is healthy. Jalen Brown is healthy. Marcus Smart is going to be the starting 
point guard. There's still much to desire at that center position. Like they're kind of a question mark too. Now, I think they I think last year they were a seven seed, but a lot of these teams are interesting. Charlotte just keeps getting better and they're younger. They're exciting. LaMelo's probably going to play the rest of this. Hopefully he stays healthy this season. Um, Miami as well gets Kyle Lowry. It's just going to be so many. Uh, what the hell is Chicago is what I'm still trying to figure what out. Is, <laughs> like, what is Chicago on paper? Because are they going to defend? Like they might defend because they have like nice perimeter defenders, but then Wooch is down low. Uh, I, I don't know. Like, uh, Chicago, to me, feels like a team that coming into the offseason we're excited about, but something will go wrong. Like, something just feels like it, it's going to go wrong there in Chicago. I don't know why, but it, that feels like one of those teams to me. And also, New York, I'd hated the Evan Fournier pickup. Like, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not huge on Evan Fournier. Maybe that's just me. But I'd, I didn't see how – I mean, he's a scorer, and that's awesome. But I, I don't like the Evan Fournier pickup. I, I'm, Kimba's passable to me. But Evan Fournier was a head scratcher. I mean, Kemba at that price point is certainly passable. That's take the flyer, move on. Yeah. That's fine. I was with you in the general sense of I get why they leaned so much into getting shot makers this offseason because of how that Atlanta series went. But yeah. you let your best perimeter defender walk. What leverage did Evan Fournier have that he needed to get that third guaranteed year? Like, what the um, heck? <laughs> and I know it's a small sample size, but that might say a lot about Evan Fournier. But his like postseasons have been largely unspectacular. So I'm right. with you there. Is there anything or anyone on this team that I did not ask you about that you think needs to be covered? Uh, Montrez Harrell. Um, I don't expect Montrez to go out here and be sixth man of the year or anything like that. But the toughness that, like, the reason they they elected to get Montrez is because he can bring uh, a toughness that I don't think they've had. Like, they didn't, they haven't had really like any riders. Like, if Brad gets roughed up, you know, who's coming to Brad's defense? Rui. Like, you know what I'm saying? Rui's not, like, Davies is a Davies is a mean Latvian. Like, he does not play around. But you need somebody that's going to come and instill that physicality, especially on defense, and uh, and, and take some flagrance, take some, and, and have some identity about them. I feel like the last time this team had that was Markeith Morris um, back in those death row DC days. And if you don't know what that is, I don't blame you because that is another extremely localized Washington Wizards fan thing. But, um I think Montrez also pushes the younger guys to be tougher. Like he's going to bang around with Rui. He's going to like Rui is going to have to assert himself if he wants to if he wants to practice with this team. I think Montrez does definitely bring a different uh, attitude to the locker room that I think would be advantageous to them. You mentioned Montrez Harrell, which makes me realize I forgot to ask this question. Who do you view as the most likely player to be traded on this roster heading into the season? Man, um Probably Coos. Really? That's interesting. Probably probably Coos. Not that not that Washington like doesn't like him, but if I think if you're a team that's calling about somebody, it would probably be between like Coos and and KCP. Like you're looking at guys who have been there before, who have had a track record of of being playing winning basketball, have had experience in the playoffs. Um, you want somebody, especially like if you're an elite team, you want somebody who can come in and, and not uh shy away from that spotlight. Now, I think Washington views Kuz extremely, extremely high and think there's a lot of untapped potential there. Um, but you might be able to get something for Kyle Kuzma at the trade deadline if, if, if things fall apart and you have to start unloading ships. So I think probably Kuz or, or uh, it's, it's a toss-up between the Lakers guys. It's all They're all Lakers, Kuz, KCP, and Montrez. I guess I looked at it from the view of like they would be buyers because of what they're trying to do. So I just viewed Harold's salary, like that expiring contract to matching. Yeah. But what you bring up is a really salient point. If they just, if they're willing to prioritize the bigger picture, I think KCP and Kuzma, aside from Beal, obviously are going to generate the most interest on the roster and they're much yeah. easier to 
part with then a Bradley Beal because that that's a directional decision on your entire franchise. Yes, yes, absolutely. I didn't even think of it from your point of view. That's a good point as well. Trez's contract is right there. And Trez kind of feels like, you know, sometimes he feels like the odd man out. I mean, because we talk about Thomas Bryan and we talk about Daniel Gafford because we've seen them in D.C., but Trez is like a tweener guy. Like, he's not your back-to-the-basket big. He's not like an elite defender, he, but he has a force out there on the floor, and I think a lot of teams could use a guy like Trez as well. Uh, Quentin, thank you so much for speaking with me. Are you able to tell our listeners where they can find you on social media and all the great work that you do? Follow me on social media at Real Quentin Mayo. I also host the show for Odyssey. It's Bet MGM tonight. It's actually a live sports gambling show from 7 to 11 p.m. Eastern time. So you can guys can tune in on that. And for the Wizard season, I cover the team also for Odyssey and Blue Wire. So you can check me out at Blue Wire Pods, the Quentin Mayo podcast, and also stream live on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Quentin Mayo. So any Wizards content, we also do a lot of NBA stuff as well on our noon streams and just go back and watch all the games and and laugh at Dwight Howard falling out in preseason, stuff like that. (laughs) I commend you for watching preseason NBA basketball at all. Oh, I saw one clip and that's it. So we'll we'll, we'll probably watch it a couple days from now. Uh, Quentin, you do a lot of work and you do it extremely well. So thank you for giving me so much of your time and uh, rest assured, I will be pestering you again in, in the future. Not a problem, man. Thanks for having me.